He really got me. You know, I think it's because he was gay. Got the nuances more. Gotta get me a gay, Mickey. Gotta get a gay. Hello and welcome to another episode of In the Details, a celebration of nuance where each episode I queen out on all of the acting choices, micro moments, and magic in the minutiae that make a scene great. My name is Colin Drucker, your name is Barbara Bell Geddes, and God damn it, it's good to see ya. Um, or to feel that you're on the other side of this of this episode, uh, potentially, or you might be asleep right now, but it's I'm happy you're there. Uh, it's been a while, I know. I feel like every episode now we start with like, well, I know, you know, it's been a while. But a lot of you are probably All Right, Mary and or Best Supporting Podcast listeners, and so you may not feel like it's been a while, and this just might be another familiar voice. And so um, thanks for coming on over to check out this episode. Anyway... I, I was, I, I've been kind of plotting out this season in my head, you know, like I think in, in the details is going to be like a, if I get my, if I get my F and act together, a podcast with seasons. And I thought, you know, what would be really fun is like a season of reality TV nuances, you know, and maybe it's because that's a lot of what I've been consuming. Uh, obviously with Drag Race, you know, on All Right, Mary, I'm always watching, I'm always dissecting a season of Drag Race. I'm always kind of doing this on All Right, Mary with Drag Race anyway. But of course, then there's also my other recent obsession, The Real Housewives. And, you know, we'll get into it in today's feature when we go down the, you know, the Mystery Science Theater tunnel into, you know, we, and we go into the details. I don't know. It's this weird visual I have when I get to the part that I scripted, you know. That is also what I've spent just a disgusting number of hours watching and digging into the details of. You know, great name of a podcast in the details, celebration and nuance. And, you know, that's the thing about Drag Race that I, I love. And and obviously, like, with Best Supporting Podcasts, just, like, queening out on, you know, women in supporting roles and some men in supporting roles and, and everybody else in supporting roles. But the idea of, like, oh, look at you over there, you know, making an acting choice. There's something to mine in all of this. And I feel like it's time we just get right into it and we get into what I hope will be the first of a, a few choice reality tv scenes to dive into uh in the details Ooh, we're going down that tunnel it's happening there's probably music playing right now the real housewives is a recent guilty pleasure that i have been binging like they're gonna take it away from me for probably the better part of a year now. I came into it with a preconceived notion that was, to be fair, not entirely inaccurate. I imagined it was a lot of privileged women with varying quantities of plastic surgery of varying quality fighting over absolutely irrelevant nonsense under the smarmy eye of Bravo ringleader Andy Cohen. I also believe that none of it was, in fact, real. Real in that it wasn't staged. Real in that it dealt with relatable conflicts. Real in that we could perhaps see ourselves doing or saying some of what these women were doing and saying 
with or without the bottomless Pinot Grigio to keep things moving. I had just assumed, as a wise woman once said, that this is garbage, Mama. And that was the stance I chose to take until I witnessed a little something called Scary Island. This was a Best Supporting Assignment from Nick on Best Supporting Podcast, which listeners of that podcast know gave birth to multiple Housewives-themed episodes and discussions. I had heard of Scary Island before, and I somehow knew that it had something to do with New York. To be honest, I thought it was like a haunted hayride on Staten Island. And I guess I was content with that explanation because this was not something I ever expected to care about. Now, I'll say this up front. We're not here today to talk about Scary Island, though obviously we could. On its own, it's like an A24 horror movie about psychosis and narcissism and amateur beach photography. It's also a taste of what's to come many seasons later in a slightly less tropical and vastly more heated showdown that we will get into shortly. But for anyone who doesn't know, Scary Island is an iconic girls' trip in season three of Roni, which is, yes, a phonetically used acronym among fans of the Real Housewives of New York. Without going into tremendous detail, because I could, and that would lead us directly into Jill Zarin territory, and once we, once I get going about Jill... That's it, baby. One of the wives, Kelly, a former-ish model and ex-wife of fashion photographer Jill Ben Simone, who you may know from the America's Next Top Model suite of fabulous prizes, is having nothing short of a nervous breakdown. She's awesome. She thinks something's wrong with you. I do. Like, you're absolutely crazy. Okay, I'm crazy. Something's happening here. We all think you need to get help. There's something wrong with you. Yeah, because I don't like you. That's not an illness. You, your dad passed away, and you're like, here? It's creepy. All right. Why is that creepy? It's oh my creepy. I went away as soon as my mother passed away. My mother died on a Friday. Don't ever tell anybody that, Ramona. That is a, uh-uh. The four of us are actually sane, and she's crazy, and now we're picking on her, okay? Okay, let's She has a problem. I feel like you're trying to kill me every night, and I threw up. She's paranoid. The night before I came. Because I don't want to be a part of this. Go to sleep! Go to sleep! You're crazy! Go to sleep! No, don't be mean to her. Bethany Frankel, practically a caricature of that classic New York City main character syndrome, that I'm walking here kind of energy, eventually snaps. This, of course, is to the surprise of no one who has watched this show. Bethany's fuse is practically non-existent, and throughout the series we see her verbally eviscerate just about every other castmate at least once. And again, we could really dive in here, but besides this being my introduction to the show, it's a great example of when juicy reality TV drama gets a little too real. The other women begin to realize that Kelly is potentially having a real mental health crisis here, and screaming at her is not only ineffective, it's maybe even irresponsible. I think a light bulb went off in all of us, and we changed. I mean, even me. I did not place any press about you. It doesn't matter who attacked you. It does not matter. I'm not upset. I'm not attacking you. I will not attack you. I'm not going after you. I was watching something that I thought seemed a little unbalanced, and we're not doctors. We don't know. And I reacted, and I started screaming because I couldn't deal with it and because I'm also emotional, but there is no excuse. I don't want to engage, and I don't want to fight. I don't want you to feel attacked, okay? I don't, we're not after you. And I don't, this is not, this is to a point now where it needs to stop. And we're not gonna talk about her like she's not here. Bethany is quick to put out the flames in the name of rationality, which is something I can appreciate about her. As much as she is a bulldozer, and that's not always a bad thing, she doesn't do it blindly. 
She feels like someone who is very good at fighting, but doesn't always relish the conflict the way some of the other women might. And maybe it's because she never has to worry about getting enough screen time or becoming irrelevant to the series. Like some of the show's most well-known names and faces, Nene Leakes, Teresa Judice, Ramona Singer, Camille Grammer, even if you don't necessarily like or agree with her, you can't deny that she's good reality TV. But there's that word again, reality. The appeal of Bethany on the show, and she's been off for a few seasons now and has shown zero interest in returning, is that she felt the most real. While Bethany is not my favorite housewife, on rewatches I found her my way or the highway attitude less inspiring and more exhausting, she is easily one of the smartest and funniest women on the show. I'd never want to quarrel with her or work with her, but I rarely disagree with points that she's making. Which brings us to one of her most infamous moments on the series, the Miami Meltdown of season 11. The title of the episode is Life is Not a Cabaret, and I think that's a perfect segue to a woman who truly needs no introduction, Countess Luanne de Lesseps. She might prefer I pronounce that de Lesseps, but on this podcast, she's Luanne de Lesseps. You may have not seen a single episode of any Housewives franchise, but you likely know the Countess from her exercises in delusion and auto-tune, such as Money Can't Buy You Class. Money can't buy you class. You may wonder what makes her a countess. You may have assumed that tone-deaf middle-aged pop star Countess Luann was just a drag queen. And you wouldn't be 100% wrong there. Luann is equal parts fascinating and insufferable. She's been on the series from the very beginning, initially the American wife of a French aristocrat who saw herself as a touch of European royalty in New York and carrying a far brighter torch for etiquette than Emily Post ever could. She even wrote a book. She volunteered, not just at a soup kitchen, to fulfill her community service hours following her arrest in Palm Beach years later, but purely because she had, apparently, duties as a countess. She also, like many a housewife, had a terrible drinking problem that was easily masked and validated by a life of happy hours, charity events, and being on a reality television show that relied on her behavior for ratings and loved to expose her most classless moments. Throughout the seasons, we saw her divorce her husband, cheat on her boyfriend Jacques, and eventually marry a cad about town, Tom D'Agostino, who had already slept with half the other wives in the cast and was exposed for cheating on her days after their hasty engagement in season eight. The marriage with Tom collapsed in on itself naturally, and shortly after, Luann hit what could be called a pretty good example of a rock bottom, getting arrested for drunk and disorderly conduct, including hitting a police officer, in Palm Beach over Christmas during season 10. Luann spent maybe a night in jail, though if you ask her, she was practically the bird woman of Alcatraz, and then went to rehab. Her recovery is a significant storyline in season 11, and I use the word recovery lightly here. While Luann is already a fledgling cabaret star at this point, she puts all of her time, attention, interest, and topics of conversation towards the cabaret post-rehab. 
What may seem a constructive use of energy during a vulnerable time is somehow a gross display of vanity and self-importance in Luann's hands. Meanwhile, Bethany's ex-fiancé Dennis died of a drug overdose prior to season 11, so the season starts with her navigating some complicated grief of her own. While these two storylines may just seem like parallel plot lines in the season, in episode 15, the streams cross. As per usual, the ladies are on another girl's trip, this time in Miami, which is admittedly not the most exotic or original for a series that includes trips to Morocco, Cartagena, and Turks and Caicos. Instead of leaping off a yacht into crystal blue waters or riding camels through the desert, they're having lobster pop-tarts on a patio in South Beach. I'd love to talk about each of the women on this trip. It's insane how little we're going to talk about Dorinda Medley or Sonia Morgan, especially when she has her own poolside meltdown after attending an AA meeting with Luann earlier that day. But this is about Luann, Bethany, a bit of Barbara, and the perfect amount of Tinsley Mortimer. Luann has been obsessed with going to see her name on the marquee at the illustrious Jackie Gleason Theater, where she'll be performing her dreaded cabaret. She skips out on lunch with the girls, including Sonia, who might need a sober person to talk to right now, to make the pilgrimage and find some poor soul to take her picture in front of the theater. The other lady's only request is that she bring home an order of truffle fries. I could go into more detail on that one, but all you need to know is that she didn't. And if I was expecting fries with lunch and then they didn't show up, I'd probably have a meltdown as well. But indeed, Luann ditches them for lunch, leaves them fryless, and even later grumbles about how she didn't get a massage that afternoon like everybody else. That night, they go out to dinner at the aforementioned patio, and among the lifted faces at the table, you probably need to know about Barbara Kavavit, a woman who is potentially very successful and capable in her own life, but appears quite pathetic on the show in the role of friend, a largely thankless supporting role each season for a woman to play seat filler and occasional conflict bait. Barbara has been seen as a good friend to Luann up until this point, supporting her in her recovery and attending her cabarets. And to the surprise of absolutely no one, Luann appreciates Barbara only when it somehow serves Luann. Otherwise, Barbara is just a potted plant in a wrap dress, as far as she's concerned. She comes up briefly in this meltdown, but more represents the kind of reality TV conflicts you might expect from Housewives. It's not uncommon for a cast member on any franchise to be called out for not being a good friend, or not saying thank you, or not showing enough appreciation— Ramona Singer, problematic Roni icon, is big on accusing someone of not being a girl's girl, and one time stood on a street corner while walking her dog Coco on the Upper East Side and told Bethany that she does not support other women. And you don't support other women. You don't acknowledge anybody for anything they do. And as soon as Carol left the party, you talk behind her back. So how have you the audacity to talk to me like you're talking to me? How about you didn't even give Dorinda credit for getting the nutcracker? You know how upset you got Dorinda for not acknowledging she got you that nutcracker for your for your daughter to give barbara some credit she finally speaks up for herself once the cocktails have arrived and tells luann that she feels like she dropped her life to support her and has gotten little in return 
And then that morning when she was feeling excluded from the group, Luann didn't come to her defense. I, I do want to say something to you, Lou, that's kind of upsetting me. And I'll... I don't know if you remember this or acknowledge it, but when you were in rehab, yeah, you know, and I'm just going to repeat it, I stopped my life for you. Like, really legit stopped my life no, for I you. No, I know you did. That I don't feel like you really had my back today. Like, I was really upset. At this point, Tinsley, drink firmly in hand, weighs in. Tinsley Mortimer is the youngest of the group at 43, but perpetually a pretty prep school princess with old money roots, an iconic mother named Dale, and dreams of marrying a coupon code guru named Scott and moving to Chicago. She is by and large harmless, and as a character on Roni is somehow Jan, Cindy, and Marsha Brady all rolled into one. This is really a perfect example of that. Tinsley tries to jump in and come to Barbara's defense, and an evening of martinis happens to get in her way. And Luann, definitely not thinking at all here, and you can see it on her face as soon as she gets caught, decides to pounce. That's not my fault. That's not my fault. Really? I'm just saying. What is your fault? I know Because that. you let Barbara do that for you. Let her do and what for me? To have the shield protect you in that way, and you never shut up for her. She I never watched what, what? Oh, 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 wow. wow. I, I, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't understand oh, what you said. No, I just didn't understand yeah, I'm what you said. Luan. The reactions from around the table, from Dorinda's wow to Bethany's pilot light officially getting lit, are as priceless as Luann stumbling with one foot in her mouth. But it's too late for Bethany, and to be honest, I sort of get it. The idea of Luann making fun of someone for drunk slurring their words is the pot calling the kettle a fucking pot. There's some squabbling here between Luann and Tinsley that is, well, not the point, and in comparison to where Bethany takes this, wildly irrelevant. Barbara, for a moment, would also like to make it about her again, but that's not happening, especially not once Bethany levels the question to Luann about when the last time was that she checked in on her about Dennis. Teacher, Countess, I have a question, Countess. When's the last time you asked me how I am about Dennis? Right. When's, when's the, last the last time you time? asked me how I am? And this could have just been, you haven't been a good friend territory, but those fights don't typically involve overdosing rehab in jail. This becomes abundantly clear when Bethany declares very accurately, you are intolerable. And just like that, Hurricane Frankel swoops onto the shores of Miami and makes landfall right here on this patio. Bethany's accusation here is an act one gun for the climax of this aria. I think what makes this meaningful is that Bethany, Dennis, and Luann's lives and dramas are also literally intertwined, not just contextually. Let me explain something to you clearly. Dennis helped you with your case 100%. When's the last time you asked me how I feel about it? Am I the only one that has not checked in here? You actually are. You actually are. 
It's unnerving. Well, I haven't really un spent time with you. I really well, haven't. Well, we're being self-absorbed, Luann. And that's what really upsets us. I guess that's a little... Yeah, so as I'm a persona non grata... You're not a persona non grata. We wouldn't be upset if we didn't love you. You know, this is not enjoyable for me. This right. is not... because it's, it's true. Nice. The truth hurts. No, it's not... It's, it's you, you guys are really just kind of... Luann has wriggled out of accountability in the past, and her stuttering and stammering here is a clear sign she's being backed into a corner. But just in case there's any doubt, Bethany picks up steam, stands up over the table, and goes for the jugular. I'm so mad. Do you understand that I did your intervention and my ex-boyfriend or ex-fiance died of an overdose and you haven't checked in on me? Do you understand Listen, that I did your not, intervention while my guy died of a drug overdose? That and you not, haven't asked not. how I am. Hi, he died. Of course He's I in the ground. You. He's I, like, no, you haven't. No, you I haven't. Have you haven't one time. My, I'm going through a lot and come to my thing and cabaret. In Cuban cabaret upstate and cabaret, cabaret, cabaret all day. Life is not a cabaret. Not to be missed here, of course, is the camp factor here. Besides the soap operatics of my guy died of an overdose while I managed your rehab, Luann's obsession with her cabaret act is now pulled into the conversation. It is actually not a cabaret. Do you watch my daughter's sweet Don't say look at what you. Am I? That's f***ing true. Yourself. Look at you, followed by Tinsley's don't say look at you, is truly one of my favorite micro moments in this mess. Bethany then grabs a reflective martini glass, holds it up to Luann's face and says, look in the fucking mirror. And honestly, the poetry of that, the poetry of look at your distorted reflection in this martini glass is practically unscriptable. It's so perfect. You are really Look in the fucking mirror. Look at me. Look at you. You never checked in on Dennis. Not what once. No, you never asked about Dennis. You never asked. You never asked. Of course I did. No, you don't. So Bethany moves into this guttural, you never checked in on Dennis. And while we've seen Bethany lose her shit over the years, I honestly don't think I've seen her channel Pazuzu quite so directly as she does here. This is also where we get to my absolute favorite part, where she calls Luann an asshole while whipping her napkin against the table on the word asshole. No, you don't. Every day it's about you. Every f***ing day it's about it you. It is. Every f***ing second it's about you. Oh, because I didn't get a massage because you're an asshole that didn't even have lunch with us today that you go to look at your own poster. I you're, went you're, for a you, swim at you, the you, beach, you, you, for you, God's you, sake. You're, you're missing you, her pain. You're not getting it. This is so sad. This is so sad. Bethany devolves into a round of you, 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 which gives Ramona an opportunity to tearfully cry out, you're missing her pain. Ramona desperately wants to be involved in this, but she's less involved than Barbara Kavovich. She's less involved than the lobster Pop-Tarts delivered to the table in a retro toaster oven. But God damn it, she's going to get a close-up if her daughter Avery's life depends on it, Okay. Bethany gets her footing again to call Barbara a doormat in the process of taking down Luann for how she treated Barbara, which is fucking incredible, really. You understand? It was a whole weekend. I took weeks of my life for you. She's being your fucking doormat. I know she is. No, she saved my you. She's she my friend. She saved you. We. There's actually an interesting micro moment in here where Luann says that Barbara is her friend and then mutters, well, was my friend. And the camera cuts to Barbara looking incredibly hurt. But obviously this is about Bethany and Bethany taking it home with a series of vague and increasingly surreal ways in which she helped Luann, including something about running in a field in her lingerie. I had 
lawyers come to your house on a Sunday. I spoke to your kids. I sat outside in your driveway to make sure that you didn't drive your car. You almost crashed the boat and killed your friends. You were running in a field in negligee and had to be taken in cop cars. And I made sure that they didn't record it so you didn't ultimately get arrested. But let's get back to the earlier accusation of dining out on her rehab. And that important reminder that all she really cares about is cabaret. What do these two things have in common? Well, we're about to find out. I was not you in a good place. You left the rehab that I got no, you for free two weeks early. And said, I didn't leave two said, weeks early. Yes, you did. You no, said, I left a week early to go because I had to work. cabaret. Yes, and I needed to go. For cabaret, you left I needed to go and do that. I got it for free. You're sick. That's right, folks. Luann left rehab early for cabaret. Bethany is so frazzled about this that she's aggressively scooping her hair up into the beginnings of a bun or a ponytail as she devolves into a robot caught in the rain. I don't know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. You're going to have a heart attack. You're going to have a heart attack. I really think Bethany is having a full-on panic attack, and it doesn't have to do just with Lou. She's got a lot on her plate. I don't know how much she's dealt with the whole thing with Dennis, but she can't take the frivolity of this bullshit anymore. You didn't ask me once about how I am a best friend to us. You didn't ask me because you're so happy. I'm so sorry about Dennis. I mean, Dorinda saying you're going to have a heart attack, the dramatic music, the quick cuts to the other patrons who made the mistake of dining outside that night all suggest that Bethany's head is about to pop off like a dandelion. But instead, she sits and dissolves into tears as Dorinda and that doormat Barbara swoop in to comfort her. Feeling Giovanni. Feeling Giovanni. The epilogue to this whole fiasco is that they don't leave that South Beach patio without having resolved this issue. You know, Luann storms off, Bethany storms off, Bethany comes back, Luann comes back. They talk it out. There are tears, there are hugs, there are I love yous, and they are swiftly on their way to a season finale from there. Something like this that could potentially just end a friendship is really just a plot point in season 11 of a TV show you've been filming with this other person for years. But I love that it still feels like it got dare I say, a little real. Now, I hate that I'm giving press to Andy Cohen's Sirius XM radio station, but I think the perfect way to to end this episode is with an excerpt from a live reading by a series of of fabulous women, Molly Shannon, Bridget Everett, uh, Vanessa Bayer. I mean, uh, oh my God, Rachel Harris. It's Oh my God, it's just a whole bunch of superstars, including the most perfect casting of Kristen Johnston as Luann DeLessops, doing a live reading of the scene we just recapped. It really needs no other introduction. I will put a link to this in the description of the episode so you can watch it, but um, I think this is the best way to, to wrap up this week's discussion. Bethany snatches a martini glass and holds it up to Luann's face. She slams it down on the table. Look at me. Look at you. You've never checked in on Dennis. Not once. What are you talking about? 
don't. Every day, it's about you. Every fucking day, it's about you. It is. It is. Always. Bethany, still standing, is walking feverishly around the table, flipping her hair and picking up and throwing down napkins. Every fucking second, it's about you. Oh, because you didn't get a massage. Because you're an asshole that didn't even have lunch with us today. But you had to go look at your own poster. I went for a swim at the beach, for God's sake. You, 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 you're missing a pain. You're not getting it. This is sad. This is so sad. Do you understand? It was a whole weekend. It took weeks of my life for you. She's being your fucking doormat. No, no, she's not being my doormat. She's my friend. She saved you. She saved you, Pooh. Or was my friend. <laughs> I had lawyers come to your house on a Sunday. I spoke to your kids. <laughs> I sat outside in your driveway to make sure that you didn't drive your car and you almost crashed in a boat, killed your friends. You were riding in a field in a negligee. And I had to be taken in the cop cars and made sure that they didn't record. So you didn't have to get arrested. <laughs> I was not in a good place. <laughs> you left the fucking rehab that I got for you for free weeks early. I did not leave weeks early. Yes, you did! Bethany pulls her hair up away from her neck. Yes, you did. I left a week early to go because I had to work. It was cabaret! Yes! <laughs> Anyway, folks, I think that's all I've got for you today and this week, but I have some other reality TV and potentially even actually Housewives-themed episodes coming up. So if that is music to your ears, then play on. And if that is not, then I am so happy you at least joined me this far this week. And if you'd like to share your thoughts and your feelings and your interests and really anything you want, feel free to drop me an email at inthedetailspod at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Drucker underscore. You could, of course, find me every single week on All Right Mary talking about Drag Race and on Best Supporting Podcast talking about Best Supporting Actresses. And I don't really have a better way to wrap this up, but I know my good friend Brenda Vaccaro does. So why don't you take it from here, baby? That's it, baby. It sounds good to me. I'll see you folks next time. That's it. Bye.